Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is back, baby. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and I'm with Andrew Page, the straw man himself. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm very good, Scott. How are you? I'm exceptionally well. You are the straw man. You, you are the founder, the managing director, the chief cook and bottle washer of strawman.com. What exactly, as our listeners like to know, is straw man, Andrew? See, I'm, I'm, I'm running out of, of different descriptions and I, I might I might circle really back here. Oh, on, on one... it didn't last long. How many weeks was that? Well, you know what? I've actually, there's, uh, for, for reasons that might become apparent in, in a few weeks or so, we've, we've really had to think about, you know, exactly what actually is straw man. And it's, uh, it's you know, I think, I think it's easy. I've, I've in the past sort of referred to it as either, you know, a social platform or a forum or that kind of stuff. But you know what, yeah. mate? I think it's just genuinely an investment club. Like whether there it was set, set around a, a kitchen table or, or whatever, it's just a bunch of people trying to work together to, you know, collectively improve their investment outcomes, and and that's nice. you know that's that's the simple nub of it, and that, that's what we're about. So come come and check us out, and you'll you'll get a better sense. There you go. That's at strawman.com. I uh, I think you lasted about six weeks. Is it that long? Maybe I'm not sure. I'll give you six weeks. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> You've done very well, mate. It's entertaining to everybody, so I appreciate your efforts. Mate, um, we've got, we got a big podcast, as we always do. There's so much going on, as there always is. Um, economically, the great news this week, GDP growth was positive, better than expected. Those were really good things. My favourite part of the GDP numbers is we are back. We have now, the Australian economy is now bigger than it was pre-COVID. And that's not nothing, right? Like, it's one thing to say, well, yeah, growth has been really strong. It's like, well, yeah, but if you fall 10% and then grow five, you know, 5% growth is nice, but gee, you're still a decent way behind where you started. It's kind of the reverse of buying on dips, right? You wait for 5% dip and the market goes up 10% in the meantime. This is the reverse. Good growth is good. It's great. We'll, we'll take it. But when you're already way below where you started from, it's not good enough. This time, we're back. Things are okay. Yeah, Unemployment's I- down. GDP's up. I mean, I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going to declare victory because famously George Bush did that once. It didn't work out very well for him, so I'm not going to go there. But um, it, <laughs> mission it, accomplished. Pretty, <laughs> exactly, a pretty good set of numbers, surely. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's hard to be disappointed with that. I guess just just for the fun of, of throwing a little bit of cold water on it. <laughs> Come on, um, really? Uh, no, it's mate, you. You uh, boost well, Santa Claus. Fair dinkum. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I think I think it's I think it's really 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 encouraging. We're we're we're, be, we're above where we were, but we're below where yeah. we would otherwise have been. I suppose is yes. is yeah. is one way uh, to, to look at it. I've God, I've mentioned on the well, you know, and I, I think I think also too, and I say this all the time, but these big economic metrics they mm. they encompass well, literally in the case of GDP, everything, and there's so much context. <laughs> And and subtlety that goes on beneath yeah, beneath the hood. I I fear as though one of the worrying trends that that we tend to have, and in fact this is true for a lot of Western um, democracies, is that mm. there does tend to be a real um, uh, shift in in the levels of wealth amongst different strata. I think that's mm. a, a bit of a concern. I think if you're sort of like a, a millennial, uh, a, f- a female, um, you know, in regional Austra- regional New South Wales, you know, you're mm-hmm. you're probably looking at a lot of these figures going, okay, <laughs> that's, I'm certainly not seeing that on the where's ground. My bit? So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's my bit? Um, you know, it, it, it's, it seems as though the people who have done best out of this whole caper have been the people who are already very, very well to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and those that weren't are probably I would I would I would wonder if they're actually looking at themselves, going, "Oh, fantastic! You know, we are 
we're 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 back above where we were. I, I don't think that's the case, um, and it's it's worrying. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair. I think it's one of those. It's one of those situations. You know, again, it's it's a it's a not, they're nice problems to have in one sense. I'd rather have those problems with. GDP back above where it was rather than having them without it because it was also true six months ago uh, and so to some yep. degree you know you, you want to be you want to be you want to be solving problems from a good base you want to have the capacity yep. the, the resource to solve those problems and I think to some degree we do um, it, it is I mean the GDP thing we'll talk about uh, other stuff I won't, I won't give away just yet we'll talk about other stuff in a minute but it is interesting to me the the when you talk about GDP there is a real mix about the way GDP is allocated which is kind of what you're alluding to but I, I think more theoretically mm-hmm. just in, even in the sense of you know, we talk about, for example, iron ore's contribution to the economy, right? Anything about it, okay, yeah. it, it does, but iron ore these days doesn't require many many workers. And no. so, if you think about where the how the, Robot how the trains spoils of works, yeah. right? So, if you think about how how the spoils of iron ore are, are spread versus the the spoils of a labour intensive area, like maybe I don't know healthcare potentially or um, education or something like that, where you've got a lot of people almost by definition, it just doesn't scale as well. It doesn't make it as economically attractive. Ironically, they're not the sort of businesses we'd normally invest in either. Um, so we're kind of talking out of both sides of our mouths. But there is some sense of the makeup of GDP, which is kind of your, your broadest point. Um, it does actually matter, right? It, ma- it matters where the num- money's coming yeah. from. Now, the good thing about iron ore is it's contributing an absolute truckload to the budget balance, yeah. and it is somewhat doing the budget repair job. Can I, can I say, I've said this before, Donald Horn, when he wrote The Lucky Country, it was supposed to be an ironic, scathing critique. Is there a, yes. is there a lucky? Is there a lucky? Is there a genuine luckier country in the world than Australia? COVID comes. We happen to be in Ireland. By the way, we're an island with a truckload of iron ore. By the way, iron ore is selling for two hundred bucks a ton. We are, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for the other shooter drop or something. Because man, like over the last fifty years, between the China resources boom that got us out of the first recession back in the GFC, the, the mining boom that followed that. I mean. I don't know, mate. I, I I don't know. We you couldn't you couldn't ask for more luck, could you? You couldn't. And and this is going to sound political, and I guess it is, but it's it's a it's a nonpartisan comment. I don't think much much of our success and our wealth has been due to really sensible economic policy. We, as you say, it's <laughs> yeah, sort of been luck, yes. the right exactly. place at, at at the right time. And I, I frankly, yeah. I think. You know, we, and this is true in the US and true in a lot of places, there's such, mm. we don't have long-term thinking. And, and speaking of iron ore, this is one thing I, I mentioned to you briefly off air, which is, I think is something that we need to worry about. We're, we're, China thinks in decades, right? And mm. there's a whole bunch of different reasons for that, different structure, whatever, but they, they are long-term thinkers. And they're not happy with us at the moment. And they've tried to sort of show <laughs> that through imports you that? of, you know, yeah. Wine and, and other other agricultural commodities and the rest of it. Iron ore hasn't been touched, and they wouldn't dare to because they need it so desperately. <laughs> um, at the same time, China has for years and is doing it right now, and will continue to do it over the next decade, is to rapidly develop uh, assets, mm-hmm. particularly over in Africa. You know, with mm-hmm. the Belt and Road Initiative. So their plan is to very obviously is to is to de-risk themselves and to reduce yeah. their dependence significantly on Australia. Well, describe it actually, yeah. And 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 that's that's entirely a sensible thing for, for them for them to do. Now yeah. here's here's some numbers. Twenty percent of all of our, Australia's exports is iron ore. Yeah. And I forget what percentage, but something like a, a very, I think 90% or some huge portion of that is is to China. Yeah. So it's one of those things that I, I do think that, you know, is this luck going to run out at some stage? Certainly not going to happen tomorrow. But, but at a, and here's the other thing. It doesn't have to be as though that all goes away for that to be really, to really hurt. I mean, even if our, even if our exports to China drop by 20%. 
um, man, that's going to be a big hit. So not just in terms of, of the budget, but of, you know, all of our collective wealth. So, yeah, I, an incredibly lucky country, very fortunate. Mm. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting couple of decades, though. I, I will say, though, the only the only benefit, or not, not benefit, the only, the only moderating factor I would, I would give to your concern is just almost the reverse of what I just said, which is it, it's massive, obviously, and it matters to tax revenues for sure. And taxes are the, maybe even better, more than GDP. Are, are, are the, you know they are the resources we have to do the things that we want to do, whether it's give tax cuts or build roads or build schools or you know, whatever, whatever we want to do with that tax money, we can. Um, so that mm. I mean, if that goes away, it's a massive, massive deal, of course. Um, Huge. But but to some degree, you know, the only the only saving grace of an iron ore fall would actually be the reverse of what I just said, which is not many people are employed by it. And so the actual direct, it's something like mining supposed to be this massive contributor. And I don't, I won't even try and guess the number because I'll probably get it at wrong by order of magnitude, but it is just remarkably, remarkably small. So the direct impact on unemployment will be tiny if the whole iron ore business shut down tomorrow, which is not going to, of course, but you know, that that's kind of the, the if there's an upside, <laughs> it's a, you know, there's, there's less economic risk in terms of the flow through for the physical economy. There will be, as you say, massive impacts on tax revenues. We're going to have to decide pretty quickly what we do differently, more debt, less spending, less services, taxing somebody else to make up that hole. Um, but I'm at least encouraged if something was going to go away, you want it to kind of be a, a, a you know, a, a low-level employer industry. Um, a bit like when, you know, car manufacturing went away. It was kind of a big psychic deal for the nation, but it didn't really mm. impact anyone because there weren't that many jobs involved at the end of the day. It was like, well... We'd like to think ourselves as a, as a car manufacturer, but we never really did it in large numbers with large numbers of people. Really, really crap for those people involved. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking nationally, economically, rather than individual lives. But at least mm. iron ore doesn't employ as many people as it might have 25, 30 years ago and, and as some other industries do. Uh, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of my other bugbears as well. I mean, the pollies love to sort of announce a new mine and talk about jobs and, mm-hmm. and all of this kind of stuff. It, it's, so the, 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 the generalisation, which is a handy one to know, is that it takes about 10 times as many people to develop a mine as to operate yeah, a mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, that's true for pretty much all kind of commodity extraction, uh, natural resource extraction kind of, kind of projects. So they do create a bunch of jobs. But they're not permanent jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, once it's up and running, it, they, they run very small. And it, 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 if you're really serious about um, yeah. un, uh, uh, creating jobs, the education sector employs, yeah. you know, however X times as much as these kinds of things. So it's just, right, right. again, it's very, it's, it's very... Personal services, um, retail, you know, plenty of, yeah, exactly. It's really narrow thinking. Like the amount of new jobs that something like Woolies and Coles might create in a year is, is equivalent to yeah, <laughs> what you might right. get from opening up three Adani mines or something like that. So it's we should again, look at that, mate. We should look at the annual reports because prob- I'm sure they give those employment numbers in the annual reports, right? And if you, I, I imagine you're right. Huge if you employers. Sheer, if you look at the net net change in staff employed, now people argue that that you know maybe retail jobs aren't as highly valued, satisfying, highly paid. So maybe, maybe there are differences there. But as you say, just the raw numbers, it'd be fascinating to look at the different numbers of jobs net, net, year on year with Woolies and Coles as individual businesses, let alone an entire industry like mining or, or in, as you say, an individual coal mine or iron ore mine or something else. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's very narrow thinking. Hey, it's worked out <coughs> incredibly well for us, you know, and, and long may it, it, it continue. But yeah. it'd just be nice, I, I think. I'd like to, you know, I'd, I'd like to see some long-term structural policy shifts that, that really, again, with a long-term investment mindset, stuff that's not going to pay any dividends, perhaps for for you know the next three to five years yeah. or so, but yeah. down the track is just you look you look at a lot of the Nordic countries and some of the stuff that they've done with with um, uh, with what they've got, and it's it's just been 
just been chalk and cheese in terms of, and they don't they don't have as much to, to the same degree. Many of them the same kind of natural endowment that we have, but they've just done really well. Long term thinking, it just I don't know. It's one of those things I get a little bit depressed about. We 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 <laughs> focus so much here on what the latest quarterly GDP numbers are, but I'd like to yeah. I'd like to cast our gaze a little bit further. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to be negative for the sake of it. I'm I. I wouldn't live anywhere else. I think Australia is a wonderful country. I think mm, we've mm. we've got so many blessings, um, but I just I I just I just do think that we've been Johnny on the spot in a very good way for a lot really of things, have. and we don't. We, it's very easy to mistake to mistake yeah. outcome for as, as the product of skill <laughs> right. rather than luck. And, and by the way, right. by the way, that's that. I actually think is a bit of a segue, but I think that's that's really a factor amongst uh, us as investors lately. And besides mm. COVID which was a very, very small kind of blip in, in the mm. context of, of mm. things. I do worry that there's a lot of investors out there that are just thinking that they're the next Warren Buffett because they've been investing in <laughs> such a fortuitous <laughs> period. Right. And right. and I, I put myself in that camp too. It's been a, it's been a really great, you know, um, a period of time. But yeah, would, would it, would, if I had done the exact same thing under a different kind of macro environment, would it have, yeah. would it have delivered the same kind of results? And mm. I don't know. I honestly don't know. So it's, it's interesting. It is, it is. I'm going to say one thing just to, just to make one final point. You can have a repost and then we'll move on. But the only thing I would say about the, the, the mining jobs or the, the mine creation jobs is I don't, I think we need to be, and this is me probably trying to play both sides of the street, but I think we need to be a little bit careful not to poo-poo those too much, right? It's like saying, well, if we build a house, it only creates, you know, 15 jobs for six months so yeah but those people are trained and then going to build the next house and the next house and there was kind of more sure. going on I think, I think the job creation the politics is rubbish because I don't create those 15 jobs in the sense that those 15 workers were working somewhere else before they work somewhere else next so I'm giving them some other work to do um, there, there's mm. an argument to say that the net amount of construction activity would be less without some of those projects so I think there is something to I agree I take your point that you know they're not creating ongoing jobs but the, the nature of things like the construction industry or I assume the, I'll call it the mine digging industry belaying my uh, obvious ignorance about the mining industry there's probably a better term for it but um, you know they they will they would have been doing something before that they're going to do something after that whether it's civil construction or tunnel building or something else that you know it, it's not it's not creating jobs in the way that as you say the pilots like to say and that's probably the bigger point is the political you know palaver about how many jobs it creates so they can get re-elected uh, but those people yeah. are getting work that in theory otherwise wouldn't be done and if they're not, not being done it does that to their lives and overall economic activity to some degree at least as they move from site to site well this is always i agree and this this is always the hard thing when you're talking about sort of uh big national sort of decision making things you you, yeah. you have to take a more holistic view so let's say as a bit of an analogy let's say that i raise a billion dollars from shareholders and i start a company and our our company is to just dig holes like not for any purpose we just we we dig holes and then we fill them back in again right now i'm going to i'm going to take that billion dollars and that's going to go into the pockets of heaps of workers it's going to create yep. huge amounts of jobs for a long time yes yes but again just taking that holistic high level view <laughs> Yeah. Has that been a good use of resources? Like, so mm. we, we, we're all about investment here. And just to tie it back to that, it, it's the same thing. So if, if you're a government and you're spending money, 
great create jobs that is brilliant you know and yeah. you really need to direct it in into areas where normal market mechanisms aren't aren't likely to work or to be as efficient that's absolutely what you should do mm-hmm. but you at the same time should very much be focused on the return of that investment that doesn't even yeah. by the way necessarily have to be an immediate economic return there could be other sort of societal benefits to that but that yeah. th- i guess that would be my argument it's like yes that is fantastic we need people to do all these kinds of things let's just make sure that we're employing them to do work that will come back to us tenfold over over a very very long period of time so and 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 i think in a lot of these cases they don't and we know we know the history and the long-term economics of 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 a lot of these industries they're not great and and you you could probably say hey i wonder if we took that money and we go and we I i don't know i'm trying to think of an example but we we built another university or something like that. Yeah, That's not going to yeah. show anywhere near the same kind of returns in the next five years, but maybe over the next 30 years, the returns are just, you know, chalk and cheese kind of stuff. So I think that's the kind of thinking that is required beyond not let's just create some jobs because you could come yeah, to, yeah. you know, page proprietary limited and we'll dig holes and fill them back in again. It does the same thing. You, you just need to, you just need to make sure that that is, is you're getting more than just that benefit. You're getting a job and you're getting a long-term productive asset that's going to, that's like going it. to enrich the company, the country for, for years and years to come. I told you I'll let you have the last word and I will other than I'm going to go and quickly reserve the ASX code DIG for Page Holes Proprietary Limited. Uh, we'll, 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 get you, we'll get you on the market. We'll make, I'll, I'll, be your, I'll be your investment banker, mate. We'll make a fortune. Just tell people it's, right. you're digging for lithium and, mate, we can raise as much money as we want. Um, mate, I, I, it's too easy, isn't it? It's so <laughs> isn't I mean, it? Very quickly. I mean, especially in small cap land, you'd be surprised. Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be surprised, but people would be surprised at how often <laughs> that kind of stuff happens. Uh-huh. You know? uh, uh, a fool in their money is soon parted and hope springs eternal and it's just yep. very easy for some slick investment bankers <laughs> to sell a good story, flog yep. a bunch of shares and then disappear into the night. It's, it's, Mate, on it's on the castle, hey, Dad, I dug a hole as a joke. On the ASX, it's how you raise a fortune. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right, mate. Dear speaking dear. Of like, let's move on. Um, a shout out to our Victorian listeners who are going through their second week of lockdown as this goes to air. Um, guys, we, we're desperately sorry to hear it. Um, fourth time in, was it 15 months or something? The poor buggers. Mm. It's just been a really, really tough thing. Talk about bad luck too. Like, you know, that outbreak, the guy from South Australian Hotel could have ended up in any state, happened to end up in Victoria. All of a sudden, you guys have got to deal with that. So we're thinking of you. We hope that, uh, well, <laughs> I, I don't want to oh, big ourselves up a little bit, but hopefully this next, you know, 45 minutes or so, whatever we've got left, gives you some respite or, or maybe just makes the rest of your life look better. I'm not sure which. <laughs> if, you, if you listen to this and go, you know what? Being inside without these guys talking is better. That's okay too. And if we make your life <laughs> feel a little bit better for, for, you know, the best part of an hour, then hopefully we've done, we've done something. We are, we are thinking of you. Um, mate, let's, let's, let's round out the macro. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I almost don't want to mention it because I'm sure you have a view on this one. House price growth is back. <laughs> there was an article in the yeah. SMH, and I want to say, I, I hope I'm quoting this right. House prices in, in Sydney went up more than $1,000 a day over the month of what was it must have been may i think or april um mm. that's a lot <laughs> and house price growth back to 2.2 percent for the month like we 2.2 percent annually is okay 2.2 percent for the month you can't quite multiply it by 12 but you can get a reasonable sense of just saying hey that's a monthly number so what if that was a yearly number and you get to some some reasonably unsustainable levels of 
of growth, at least in theory. In April, we were of the view that maybe house price growth was moderating when it fell to only 1.8%, but it's back to 2.2% this month. The only thing I can comfort you with, mate, although you've probably done the research on this one yourself, knowing your uh, particular passion project for, for housing. <laughs> um, I think it was Eliza Rowan. I think I think it was her quote from, from CoreLogic. Uh, she's the director of research. She's been on the podcast before. If you go back a few years, we interviewed her and we will again. Uh, Eliza was basically saying that they actually had more ho- homes sold then, no, more homes sold them are listed. Um, in other words, they're kind of soaking up some excess demand, right? There are more buyers out than there were listings. And so when you get that sort of excess demand and less increasing supply, you should expect a monthly blip of some description just because you've got more, more houses being bought by people who want them than are being added to the national stock. So that should push mm. prices up if supply and demand is a thing, and it is. Um, so I'll give you that bit of comfort that she's saying, look, maybe this is one of those things that is transitory, at least in part. Um, she's not a house prize bear. Oh, it's bullish so by, by any stretch. She's, she's pretty straight down the line, Eliza. Um, I, I imagine you've got a thought on house prices, though, Andrew. Anything, anything new to add, or you just want to rant again? Is, 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 is this Andrew Catharsis corner, or what are you, what are you thinking? Oh, I've got no credibility on this topic, so I don't, <laughs> I don't really... Uh, look, I, I guess a couple of things I, I, I would say is that, again, I know I'm repeating myself, but I think I think we need context. I think we need to, to zoom out. It comes it comes back to this point of the it being a very binary sort of outcome with COVID. For those that kept their job, yeah. there's actually um, a really great thing for you. It actually comes went up down. during COVID. Yeah. Like if, if you're yeah. one of those people who kept your job, as you say, naturally comes went up. So some people lost money. Some people not only kept, but actually gained more by definition. That's how the maths works. It's a, it's a yeah. heck of a thing. It's a really unprecedented response to a recession. Well, if you worked in tourism or something like that, it just, you bang, you were zero yeah. and it was yeah. JobKeeper or nothing. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you worked for, I don't know, some legal firm in the city or something like that, it was brilliant. You know, you kept yeah, on getting yeah. your money and your, and your expenses went away and you just saved and you saved and you saved. At the same time during COVID too, I think a lot of people withheld so there's just a natural flow of, of mm. uh, sales uh, on, mm. on any market. And a lot of people held back during that period. So as we sort of come out the other side, we've seen a lot of pe- – and it's, as, as we've seen this house price data come out, a lot of people go, all right, now I'm ready to sell. Now it's a good time. I wasn't, wasn't mm. an urgent thing. Now I'm happy to do it. Um, mm. And we've had a lot of people with, with some extra cash – to do that and who have benefited from the wealth effect too as, as their prices have increased. So mm-hmm. where, and it's great. It's, it's really good, you know, in, in a, a lot of ways. I don't, I don't wish uh, ill on anyone's wealth creation kind of plans. I guess, I guess where the danger for me lies is where we take these sort of monthly reads and we extrapolate it forward. Um, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, I actually jumped onto the ABS's website and crunched crunch some numbers, you know, in, you in, Austra- in, in Australia, <laughs> you know, over the last five years, yeah. it's been 2.6 per, per annum growth in, in house prices. And yeah. over the last 10, it's been about 4.3%. That's, okay. that's not shabby. I'm not saying it, it's terrible, but it's not 2%. You, know, you, you, you have fluctuations within yeah. that kind of stuff. And I just, I always just cringe whenever I'm, in any kind of social situation, because I live in Sydney, and it's just always bloody house <laughs> That's prices. Right. The guy, yes, the house, uh, yeah. I'm that I'm that one wet blanket in the corner where everyone else is just you know <laughs> preaching at, at this altar, and I just I continue to hear to this day as like our oh, property doubles every seven years. I'm like it doesn't, it objectively doesn't do that, and that's fine. There's not there's nothing wrong with that, but I think a lot of people are trying to. There's a lot of FOMO that goes on out there. Yeah. And I think you just, it, whether it's shares or emu farms or property or whatever, I just, you just need realistic return expectations. 
So we, we talk about PE ratios quite a lot on mm-hmm. on this uh, podcast in regard to yep. uh, shares, which is just the, the, the price of a, of a company divided by its earnings. And we've talked before about how the average long term tends to be somewhere around sort of 15, 16. And these, these are for uh, companies that tend to sort of get that sort of three, four, five percent growth on, on average. And so you've got something which is who's and by the way, so the E part of property, the the rental income, has actually been much more depressing. It's actually been flat to down. So you've got an asset that isn't growing that's trading on a P of fifty, which is for a lot of people they've they've got there's no diversification. You've got one, maybe two, maybe three kind of properties, and you're paying a fifty mm-hmm. times multiple on that. In fact, you're losing money year on year through through some bizarre negative gearing caper which works incredibly well in one particular set of circumstances and very badly in all others i I have to say it's it's kind of at a a point you think i just hit capitulation and go okay (laughs) this is wrong but i i I genuinely and i put this to you um Mm. my rant's nearly over is just like tell me why (laughs) tell me why or how and this is. Let's also put this in the context of flat wages growth mm. uh, in the well as well, and just general levels of, of, of uh, household debt. How does that continue to grow at an upper single digit kind of rate and and justify these kinds of things? I that's what I don't get, and that's what I'm desperately keen for someone to convince me, <laughs> convince me on. And and, may, may, and and then if that's the case, I'll I'll gladly admit I'm I'm completely wrong. Mate, I'm gonna I'm not, I'm not I'm gonna try and answer your question Liam, in a bit. I'm going to ask you another question, though, a different one, because you're on the same side of a lot of people who say that housing is a bad investment or, or shouldn't be invested in or property is a problem. Most uh, of your compatriots... At I don't least know if in- I say that. <clears throat> okay. What do you say? Well, I, I, I think it's like... It, it, that, that's a very big blanket statement. Um, I had a yes, friend okay. recently who bought a house. He just he's had his second kid. They're going to be there for fifteen years minimum. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You know, it's like I think I think buying a house to live in is a really great thing to do. Right. Mm, what right, I'm talking mm. about is trying to leverage yourself up to buy your second or third two bedroom yeah, unit okay. which, in Opal Towers, which is about to collapse, and you've paid a ridiculous price on, and you're losing money hand okay. over fist, all all right. under an illusion of, of unrealistic growth assumptions. So my, my question broadly though is so maybe maybe I'm putting you in the camp of other people who are who, you know, who are in a separate camp, uh, equally unhappy about housing but from a different perspective because while you're so there's there's the <laughs> I'll call them the boomers just for fun because that'll annoy everybody listening um, who have <laughs> okay, got their boomer. got their I've got the exactly I've got their house I've got their I'll tell you a funny story about that in a sec I've got their house <laughs> they've got their um uh, they got their investment property they're, they're flying high they're making a fortune right now. Well, in theory, maybe they are, maybe they're not. That, that's the question. There's a whole lot of people out there who are complaining about house prices, who are saying the house prices are too high. And I, I, I kind of like, so you've got you on one hand saying, look, they're probably going to be great investments because how do they keep going up? I agree with that. You've got the boomers out there saying, hey, buy your investment properties, knock yourself out, negative gearing, it's all wonderful. And then on the other side, but almost at a horseshoe, which almost get back to you, but not quite, are the group who say, have you seen the price of housing? It is completely freaking unaffordable. Um, it's going up too much. Where do I go from here? And it's kind of to, to some degree. I, I was I was tempted to lump you with, with them, but it's almost a, it's almost to some degree the exact opposite. But you're both saying, "Hey, housing is investment. It's not sustainable." You're kind of saying, "Look, it probably doesn't get much better than this because how does it go up?" The other group are saying, "Wow, it's gone up so much. It's too expensive. Why don't someone think about the poor millennials who want to get buy a house?" C- can they both be true? Because to my mind, you're almost. As much as you're both kind of, you know, the anti... I, I won't say anti-boomer, but you know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, just, I'm having some fun with the labels. But, you know, as much as you're both kind of saying, 
this whole investment property palaver thing is kind of silly for one or both reasons. You kind of come at it almost from exactly opposite perspectives. One group says, hasn't gone up so much, it's you know, it's getting out of control, it's super expensive. You're kind of saying the reverse, which is it doesn't go up that much. It's not, well, so if not, maybe you're saying it's expensive, but it's not getting that much more expensive because it kind of isn't and can't. The ABS numbers say it's not. I, I'm, I'm actually, I don't even know what question I'm asking. I'm just intrigued by those three camps that in theory kind of have a common enemy, but they kind of almost have each other as common enemies to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. I, I think it's 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 about um, recognizing that that was then and, and that this is now. So it's it's okay. an objective, unarguable truth that you know uh, Burma's just had a, a great when they were in their peak earning years and mm-hmm. they were buying properties and starting families and doing all that kind of stuff. It was phenomenal. Yeah, with the benefit of hindsight at a time and they have done incredibly well you can't change that it's, that is that is absolutely true um, and it's there's a great analogy I think with with the banks here as well I mean when I first got into this game about 20 years ago you know the 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 next oh geez 10 years and it already been going banks were just the, oh, whenever I gave a presentation about in, why you should invest in shares my mm-hmm. go-to was the Commonwealth Bank big yeah, right. stable lovely dividend paying company that was delivering double-digit returns for many, 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 many years. Um, and it was true. It was absolutely true. But then you know what? Mm-hmm. For the last five years, that hasn't been true. And yeah, yet right. the same rationalizations for investing in it, that yeah. it takes a while for the for the thinking uh, um, in the market to change. I think that's mm-hmm. the same thing that's happened with property here. It's like, yeah, it's been undoubtedly fantastic. If I could go back in time, I'd buy a thousand different units and leverage myself <laughs> up to the eyeballs. Right. You know, why wouldn't right. I? It's it's incredible, but it's just yeah. you know my you know my 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 well loved uh, metaphor of the turkey, right? <laughs> I, I have I have I have heard that once or twice or a dozen times, but yes, share it with our listeners who may not have heard of it or at least haven't heard it for a while since you've been off the airwaves. What is your beloved metaphor it. about the turkey, Andrew? I forget who said it, but I know that when we were at the Berkshire Hathaway... Uh, but you said it that many times. Half, people are going to start quoting you as the source of this one, by the way. But I know, no, go, I know. Go, go for it anyway. Tom, Tom Gaynor gave the analogy too, which just made me fall off my chair because I love it. <laughs> and it's just, it's about it's about a, a turkey and a farmer looks after it. And from the turkey's perspective, you have this guy who puts you in a nice warm house, keeps the foxes away, feeds you every day, maybe gives you a shot of antibiotics every now and again to sort of keep you healthy. You know, and one of the chickens comes up to the turkey and says, oh man, this, this farmer is bad. He's a bad dude. You need to watch him. What are you talking about? My Everything in my experience since I was a chick has shown me that this guy is fantastic. Until, of course, Thanksgiving comes and he comes and chops the turkey's head off. So it's it's this... <laughs> It's, dark, it might have been a Nicholas Taleb, uh, something in one of right. one of his books. In, in maybe it was Anti Fragile <laughs> or one of those, where it just basically talks yeah, about yeah. for for some things, the historical example is a poor one, and you you can't you can't always see yeah. the true nature of things. And it yep. makes you sound like a super massive pessimist, and you can use that that argument to sort of say, <laughs> well, no matter how good thing, everything's going to be terrible. And I'm not, right. I'm not exactly. saying that. All yeah. I'm all I'm saying is, is that I think we need to, I think we need to recognise what has happened, mm. and understand sort of the drivers of that, and celebrate and how great that has been for so many of us. But yep. also at the same time, recognise that, that whatever factors were at play there may not will be may not be at play at least to the same degree going forward. It's just that that there is danger in extrapolation without without any sort of context i i think i guess is my point 
Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I wrote an article, I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast, um, I wrote about three weeks ago called How on Earth Do You Justify Australian House Prices? Did we talk about that a couple weeks ago? No? I read it. There you go. Uh, yeah. So it's great. Google it. I, 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 I 100% agree. You can Google Scott Phillips, how on earth do you justify Australian house prices? And uh, to, to your point, I think that's the, the turkey, if you like, being, being fed for the last 30 years has largely been three or four meaningful changes to the economy. Um, plus, I think the broader macro thing of we've all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, we've increasingly viewed housing as a financial asset rather than a lifestyle asset. That's the umbrella change. Mm-hmm. And then within yeah. that, you've got things like people having more incomes, interest rates going, uh, sorry, more incomes individually, Households having second incomes, interest rates going down, mortgage requirements going down, mortgage lengths, loan lengths going up. Those things individually and, and together actually have a really, really, really meaningful impact on the price, on the amount of money we can borrow and the prices we can pay for housing. So there you go. Yeah. If you want to have a look, yeah. I mean, feel free to critique it. Tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, but how on earth do you justify Australian house prices is the article I wrote on exactly that topic. Should we move on, mate? Have you got more to rant about on housing? Uh, no, I, I, I think. Keep, look, keep oh, it for oh, the next I, week. I, I, I just, I just, I just want to just to save the hate mail coming in here. Again, I'm not, <laughs> too I, late, dude. They've already switched off. <laughs> they're typing as we speak. It happens like on on the podcast or anytime I write something. Mm-hmm. I think you, you try to sort of well, maybe I'm not doing it well, but you sort of try to present sort of a bit of a nuanced argument. But but what yep. a lot of people tend to remember is just one particular thing. So mm-hmm. another great example made is with with this Bitcoin nonsense. And let's not go down that rabbit hole. But I wrote <laughs> something about that a while. And every bloody person under the sun, oh, you love Bitcoin? Like, yeah, there's. There, there is, there is, there is, there is like diehard, you know, absolute um, evangelical sort of crypto oh, yeah. dudes out there, and oh, there are yeah. people who just hate it at the other end. All I'm saying is that there is a, there is a gray, a very big gray area there, <laughs> and and that's what I'm saying too in terms of, of 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 housing. It's it's just I I I think I'm sure most of our listeners are doing very sensible things with very realistic expectations, but just just be careful if if. If you're, if, if, if you're if you're borrowing lots and lots of money with yeah. the view that interest rates never go up and property prices always double, maybe it will and that'll be great. But also, and this goes with share investing or anything, always take seriously the, the counter argument as well. What happens if it doesn't? Can I, can I, am I still standing? Do I still have the shirt on my back if that happens? You never want to be in a forced sell position. You never want to sort of risk everything um, for something that you don't desperately need. So just, just be careful out there. Be careful. I like it, Matt. That's a, that's really good advice, and I think that's as if you uh, take take Andrew's advice, read my article. Um, there are reasons to believe if you if you take the historical record that that historical record has been on steroids for a whole lot of different reasons, and if those steroids are withdrawn, not, that you don't even need the counter reality. You just need the, you just need the stimulus withdrawn to to bring yeah. things back to more normalcy. So I think that's that's a really really good piece of advice, mate. Speaking of interest rates, this is a lovely segue to my next point, um, which is actually about inflation. BlackRock. So BlackRock is the world's largest investment bank or hedge fund or fund manager I can't remember which to pick all of the above just yeah hedge fund I think yeah yeah. hedge fund manager there we go Uh, lots of different funds but probably the biggest fund manager in the world Larry Fink the CEO is pretty outspoken from time to time he writes letters regularly to the CEOs of his investee companies he makes those public Um, he was out only I think it was yesterday or today basically saying hey inflation's coming and you'd better be ready and if you think about the RBA, so this is where it ties in, the RBA said, hey, we're going to wait for price inflation and wage inflation to turn up before we increase rates. 
Larry Fink is kind of, you know, metaphorically tapping Governor Lowe on the shoulder saying, dude, they're coming. <laughs> they're not far away. The RBA is still saying 2024. That's potentially three and a half years away. But um, here's, here's the... Uh, here, so just a couple of quotes. He says, this is Larry Fink, most people haven't had a 40-plus year career and they've only been seeing declining inflation over the last 30 years. So this is going to be a pretty big shock, he says. Um, and it's just yeah. a really interesting... Um, reality potential likelihood depending on which way you want to go with it uh, but he's basically saying you know this is this is you know potentially an issue the fact it might come it might come sooner it might be bigger you might have to as an investor or a homeowner or a, ha- a housing investor get used to the idea remembering that this these sort of things can potentially he's saying effectively will um be a problem mm. and that's you know that's the um, that's the challenge for investors. He, he said, "Look, you know this is this potentially is a big shock." And so he's not necessarily forecasting when it will arrive or how big it will be. He's kind of ringing the bell temperamentally, behaviourally, and saying, "Guys, think about the experience you've had." Which Andrew was exactly your argument about housing, just in a, in a yeah. different context. Which is, yep. if you've been investing for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years you haven't seen rising inflation. We 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 mm. killed inflation in the early nineties. I mean, it's almost yeah. 30 years now, Ram, I think, since we yeah. had meaningfully rising infl- interest rates, meaningfully rising inflation, and that's it's been wonderful. Like, it's been great for the economy, as you say, early on at the very top of the show, probably with varying consequences of different people, but economically, mm. nationally, broadly, internationally, has been great. Um, we've seen prices come down because we've outsourced manufacturing and labour to other countries, which just helped them grow and kept our prices low and all that kind of stuff. This could be one of those situations where... You know, generals fighting the last war was all about keeping inflation down. They're desperately trying to get it up. Maybe this is where this turns and, and we need to all be ready for that to, to potentially come through and, and disrupt what's going on. I guess I guess my, my answer, my question to you then is, if he's right, or maybe when he's right, depending on which way you want to look at it, obviously the RBA says, great, it's here. We said we're going to raise rates. Now we're going to do it. If you're sitting here as an investor in June 2021 and sort of thinking about a, a, a world with inflation, what do you do? What do you do differently? What do you do the same what are you what are you thinking about um because you know if if think is right we have to do at least something differently or realize that inflation is going to impact companies differently and so there's a different there's yeah. a different set of rules to play by potentially um so before i i feel i feel as though we've talked about it a lot and, and for good reason it's just it's in the news all of the time um and it, it does have such massive consequences. I think there's there's two parts to it. Firstly, you've got to recognise, and anyone who's been in the market for any length of time will 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 know that every now and again you get some famous economist or fund manager comes up and sort of ring, <laughs> yeah. rings the alarm bell. And, yeah. and unfortunately, just the way the media likes to report, they they're often <laughs> urged right. to give some specific forecast. Yeah. And so whenever I hear someone saying we're going to hit X rate by you know X period yeah. of time, yeah. I just think it's just that hyper specific hyper specificity is just nonsense um but where i where i think is is really interesting about what fink was saying is mm-hmm. that it you don't you don't need to be specific you know whether whether it comes in two years or five years you know the fact that it's coming and it's not a long long-term thing is mm. is something to be mindful of and and also too it's not I mean, we had, and in the article, they talk about US consumer price index touching a high of 14.8% in 1980. 
look at that for inflation, right? So yeah, yeah, the, right. The, the interesting thing is, is that we don't even need to contemplate that kind of scenario, even if it just goes up a little bit and that forces the RBA, RBA to go from 0.1 to 0.2. Yeah. That right. is like numerically, it's like, oh, well, that's the smallest yeah. increment you, you, can, you can make. And yet what has effectively happened mathematically is that you've now doubled the interest component. So, right. so going going from an interest rate of five to six percent, um, it's gone up a whole percentage point. That's nowhere near as impactful as something going from point one to point two percent. So, for yeah. me, I, I think again, it, it, it's it's sensible to 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 avoid the hyper specificity, and and also <laughs> just say, well, actually, we we're at a point where it, it, you know whether it's tomorrow, or whether it's in five years, the fact that it, it is potentially coming and a lot of smart people are sort of saying it mm, is, mm. It, it when it does, we don't need to see very big moves for it to have very big consequences. And that mm, it's mm. it's scary. I, I won't lie to you. I, I, I do think a lot about it. Mm. I think um, it's, to, it's, but, but, to, but to answer your point, what do we do differently? And this is where I'm, <laughs> I'm really repeating myself here is it, it's, yeah. it's uh, we've said it before on the podcast, it's just not much. I just, I just that when I, when I do look ahead and, and I'm looking very much at a company specific level I'm very much a bottom up investor I'm just trying I'm just trying to put in a big margin of safety there saying I can't predict this stuff no one can but I just don't want to have a Pollyanna-ish view where every forecast is to the moon and there's never any kind of problem I just I think you layer in the potential for that and yeah. the, the, the consequence of the compromise of that is is that it's harder to justify things and, and, and I'm very much struggling at the moment to find anything that I see as outstanding value. But yeah. I think it's also a sensible thing to do. What do you, what do you think? No, that makes perfect sense. I think it's... Um, so a couple of things I think. I think rising inflation means rising prices. And so if that's true, then you need to think about companies that have pricing power or don't have pricing power. Because if you're getting costs yeah. passed on to you, and you can't increase your prices, then your margins get squeezed. And so the, yep. the first thing I think is, you know, we haven't had that problem for such a long time. Cost inputs have largely been going down, right? And so it's a bit like, it's a bit yeah. like banks. You know, as long as you, if your cost inputs and your pricing remain the same, your margins can be identical for, forever, no matter what the cost yep. or, the, or the prices are. But when prices, when costs go up, generally speaking, you know, with two types of businesses, those who can pass those on to their customers and those who can't. And that yep. gets really ugly really fast. I'm going to say I'm, I'd be particularly worried about, I, we don't have a lot of listed ones here, but think about the, the, the strength of we'll lose all coals, right? They've got mm-hmm. the ability to say to their suppliers, I'm not going to accept your price increase because I don't want to. Yeah. Because I, yep. I want to tell my customers I've got the lowest prices. If you want to put your price up, that's fine. I'm just not going to buy your product. Now, mm-hmm. that's, that's, not what the, that's not all they do and they don't only do that. So I don't, want to, I don't want to besmirch individual corporate companies and say, well, you know, they're, they're terrible people. All I'm saying is they have a corporate strategy, which is try and keep prices as low as possible or keep them coming down rather than going up. Now, if, you've got to, if you're a supplier with your cost going up of raw materials and you want to pass it on to Woolies and Coles, they say, no, we won't take them. Thank you very much. That is by definition a company without pricing power. And so yep. just, be, just be really careful about the companies you own. Secondly is the cost of debt. You've already mentioned that, Andrew. I think for me, yep. businesses with, with a lot of debt um, or even businesses just burning cash. You know, These are companies you want to be really careful of in a rising rate environment because the cost of raising yep. more money um, the cost of paying back that they've got. Think about Sydney airports, the Transurbans. Um, those are those are largely, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> I, I joke and call them they're, they're loans with, with, their, with the airports attached or loans with tollways attached. You know, Transurban yeah. is fundamentally a loan. It's fundamentally a, a mortgage. Just happens to also have toll roads on the edge, right? Because yeah, of the way it's structured. Yeah. I don't mean that in a, in a dismissive sense. Just like literally, the debt is just Huge stupidly debt. ginormous, right? And that's why yeah. it's designed to be that way, which is completely fine. Except yeah. if the cost of that debt goes up, 
you better be ready to realize that's going to happen. It's going to hurt the business's profitability because they can't pass it on. And so yeah. just those kind of things are really, really important. Last thing I'll probably yeah. mention, mate, is the value of small companies. I know you, you look at small companies a lot. We might talk about that in a future episode. But mm. one of the things we learned during the GFC and through the corona crash, but more through the GFC because it was longer, is people kept buying iPhones, right? Like Apple didn't yeah. miss a beat during the GFC. No. But also no. businesses like this, there's a couple of weird ones, right? So businesses like Flexi Group. Now called Hum, it, it did the old, you know, 48 months interest-free Harvey Norman stuff, has been massively bypassed by buy now, pay later. So this is a historical example now. That's because I'm getting old and I only do historical examples. Um, <laughs> during the GFC, it grew massively. And it grew mm. not because the GFC didn't buy it, not because it didn't hurt Harvey Norman sales. It grew because it was small and it was finding more mm. customers. And so if, you're, if you can grow in a secular way outside the cycles of the economy, that's also a really good place to be. You don't have to be a tiny company to do that. But if you're a bank and, and you and your brethren are 90% of the market, you're going to go where the market goes. If you're a supermarket provider, if you're a, unfortunately for those listening, dairy farmer, and, and the market is the market is the market, there's no growth, you know, milk's not growing. You know, banking is not growing, at least not, not in, a, in a market share kind of way. So if you're not providing something that, that has secular growth behind it, you're not invested in one of those companies, that also potentially is a, a bit of a risk. So I guess what I'm saying is, the flip side of what I'm saying is, look for businesses that have meaningful ability to grow whether they're taking share from their incumbents whether they're creating categories whether they are doing something different um, if you've got that secular growth that can be a useful way to blunt some of the impacts of rising prices and inflation mate uh, you you've so hit the nail on the head for me and this is this has been a real epiphany that's sort of i'm throwing down um, the timestamp on that so i can quote that later i'll pull that out get the audio guys to grab that thank you <laughs> Go on. well i i, I think it's and, and business owners uh, do this a, a lot where they they mistake genius for, again, right place, yeah. right time. <laughs> yes. Investors and, do too, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it sounds really dismissive and that, you know, yep. everyone's just, it's just all dumb luck. It's not. Obviously, skill matters. Obviously, talent matters. And there's some incredible managers and stuff out there. But what I've, what my epiphany has been is that I'd almost prefer incompetent management just sailing a boat with a massive, a massive gust yes. of wind behind yep, them yep, yep. than, than yep. the world's best, the world's best uh, salesman, you know, with, with, with barely a puff of, of, of yeah. wind. Um, and, right. and, and so um, you, you look at, I mean, I actually, interesting enough, I had a game of tennis last night with one of my mates. His old man was actually one of the, um, had a lot to do with Video Easy when it first came to Australia. Oh, so yeah, we're going yeah. way, way back, right? Yep. And they made insane amounts of money. Insane right. amounts of money because before that there was there was you had your little corner video shop which might have twelve copies of you know yeah. that Citizen Kane and a few other things and then there was this there was this structural shift in the industry and anyone who opened up one of those things there for a time was just making money despite themselves they didn't know right, what right, to right. do with it and same <laughs> with Blockbuster over in the US it was it was mm -hmm. insane. And at the same time, then the internet and Netflix came along, and that business doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and and when I and I think this it's just a great analogy for so many businesses. When you sit back, you really want to pay attention to that secular drivers those those mm -hmm. those areas because you know it is it is going to cover a lot of investment sins, uh, mm -hmm. valuation sins, and 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 the rest of it. Um, 
So if you look at, uh, you jump on the strawman, strawman.com forward slash strawman, you'll see my portfolio. I mean, all of pretty much, most of my companies in there are in, in areas where I think there's going to be very strong tailwinds, whether it's the internet of things or whether it's mm-hmm. structural changes in, in payment systems or whatever it happens to be. I just think it's a really, really great place to be. The one caveat to that is, and the, the one warning I will give is that that's, it's a really great thing to have and consider, but I also get worried because a lot of people start and end there. And this is this is no more. Yeah. This is no more. I guess obvious in in the electric vehicle thing, where people rightly, mm-hmm. to my mind, go, electric vehicles are going to be huge. We're going to see a structural shift there. I don't know when exactly it's going to be, but over the next 10, 20 years or so, this mm-hmm. is this is a train that I want to catch. And therefore, anything in that space, I am going to buy at any kind of price, no matter what. Yeah. Um, so. And so you 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 definitely need to think about the economics of the business, the pricing power of the business, how it's positioned within all of that, because we also know that whenever these big structural shifts happen, you know, ninety percent of companies in that still still don't do very well, and a, and a very small minority tend to capture all of the value. So this is a long rant, but all I'm saying is, mate, I hundred percent agree with you. You really want to fo- focus on those big things, um, but but also be mindful of of you know don't don't throw everything else out just with that one consideration. I think that's absolute, man. You, you've taken me exactly where I was going to go next, which is which is to trends, because I, mm. I wrote. Uh, oh, sorry, I was on a webinar earlier this week with Nab. Um, uh, just just a fun Gemma Dale, who, who from Nab, who many people know, um, had, had me over to Nab, and they basically just wanted to talk about building a portfolio, which we did, and it was a great hour, and the recording's probably available somewhere. Lots and lots of questions though were about the trend of Bitcoin, or the trend of lithium, or the trend of iron ore, or the trend of yeah. renewables, and. I, I, I kind of made the point, but then, then went back and I wrote an email about it yesterday, an article about it yesterday. You can look it up somewhere. It's uh, look up lithium Scott Phillips. It'll come up. Um, <laughs> so you, you, mentioned, you mentioned Bitcoin, mate. Speaking of which, I, I was asked a Bitcoin question. This is a massive tangent. I asked a Bitcoin question on Sunrise a couple of weeks ago. I posted uh-huh. that video to YouTube. And then I remember people who, to your point, you get, you get the people who laugh at you for buying Bitcoin. I get the people who laugh at me for being negative about Bitcoin. And so I got the, you know, you can't uh, win. boomer, boomer, <laughs> you know, LOL, LMAO, uh, yeah, super's gone, Australia's gone to crap. It's all about Bitcoin, you idiot. It's like, oh, and get, I guess, you know, because we're the motley fool, we get the occasion, oh, he works for a company with a fool in the name. What do you guys reckon? It's like, oh, mate, we've heard that so many. If I had a Bitcoin for, I still have no, no money. But uh, if I had a dollar for every, <laughs> every time I'd heard that, anyway. So on, on about trends, and, uh, and I gave a couple of examples. You've heard these before, mate. You've heard the airline one a million times. So speaking of stuff we've talked about a lot, uh, we, at one time, we'll just, AI will take over and just sample our previous podcast. We'll never have to work again. But until then, <laughs> we'll keep repeating our own stories. Um, the airline industry, if you'd have told me 50 years ago how many flights would be taken in, maybe not 2020, but let's go back to 2019. Mm-hmm. Let's take COVID back yeah. out of it. Um, you just said, look, by 2019, Air travel will go up, and it must be it must be ten thousand times. I, I don't even think that's an extra, that's a um, no, it's, an exaggeration. It's but like yeah, the number of flights yeah. taken by individuals in nineteen seventy versus the number of flights taken by individuals in twenty twenty have to be up of twenty nineteen have to be up fifty times, uh, ten thousand times. It must be just almost by definition, right? So if you just said to me, look, here's the growth. I call it a thousand times. Let's take a, a quantum out of it. A thousand times. Mm. I would have sold my house, my dog, my car. I would have mortgaged my, my future. I would have sent my kid down the salt line to get, us, to get enough money, as much money as I possibly could, and invested all airlines because obviously, I, even if I knew it for a fact, if you told me for a fact, you put me in a time machine and said, I know exactly how many flights we taken in 2019. I promise you, guaranteed. You have to, I give you the number. I would have invested everything in airlines, right? And I would have lost the lot probably four or five times over because mm. just because the trend is real, that air travel goes through the roof, doesn't mean it can be done economically or profitably, which is exactly your point about don't just look at the story and say Internet of Things or airlines or lithium or Bitcoin 
and, and jump on it just because there's a word in front of it. You've got to go further yeah. than that and say, is there a sustainable business model? I looked at the oil price. So I'll just throw it out there. I did some numbers. How much do you, inflation adjusted, how much do you reckon the oil price has gained in the last, was it 75 years? I don't think it's probably gained that much. Probably, I don't know, 1% or 2% per annum. Oh, you're pretty close, actually. Yeah, so it's, it's doubled. Doubled per barrel of oil in the last 75 years. So 1% or now, 1% you, percent per annum. Yeah, I have, I have another comment. That's yeah. probably 1%. You've, you've pretty much nailed it, right? Yeah. And so, but again, but if you look at the number of barrels, the number of barrels taken yeah. out of the ground has gone from something like 2.5 billion barrels to 35 mm. billion barrels a year. So the yeah. number of barrels taken out has gone up by 17 times and mm. the price has barely doubled. And again, if you told me 75 years ago, look at the trains, planes and automobiles, the oil usage and industry, transport, tourism. This is going to be huge. You want to buy oil futures. I would mm. have lost a fortune. The market's gained 10% per annum over that time. Oil's gone up 1% per annum. It's just, it is, it is a really, really important example. I don't, and I'm the, I don't want to be the wet blanket here this time, but the trend is nowhere, not even close to enough. Like it's just not. It might so, empower some businesses. It might enable some growth. But you can't just say, again, and, and we don't know these numbers, by the way, moving forward. We don't know how much lithium is used in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. We don't know how many, how many Bitcoin are traded. So we're speculating mm. on that anyway. We don't even know that for a fact. I can look backwards yeah. and say, this was the growth. And it still shows you that you can't just buy the trend. Yeah. And, and actually, so here's the, here's the interesting thing about that. And this is why for any budding investor out there, you really want to make a study of different business models and business yeah. and really understand different business characteristics. Because while everything you said is 100% true, there was incredible money, to take your example of the airline industry, to be made in that, in that, in that secular shift. It just wasn't through buying an airline. Yeah, so, right, exactly. So, so um, the... the uh, there's a lot of analysis that's been done on it. So when you look mm. at where has the value been captured in, in, that, in that big trend, it's ticketing systems, computer systems yeah. for the airlines. Yeah. Those guys have made squillions. <laughs> and here's, exactly. here's, the, here's the other thing. Yeah. The interesting thing, um, you wouldn't have guessed this, but catering. Is, no. is one, like catering for the airlines is one of the major value <laughs> captures there. So there's, there's, there's these that's natural... Brilliant. It's 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 not very um, competitive. It's it, you you tend to have a few major players there. They yeah. extract huge value from all of that. So what you want to do here is you want to sort of look at these big trends, but then sort of you know it's a it's a bit um, uh, jargony, but you want to look at the value chain there mm. in delivering that service of you getting on a plane and traveling to Darwin or somewhere like yeah. that. Yeah. Who is involved in that? You've got ticketing mm -hmm. systems, you've got travel agents, you've got airports themselves, you've got the airlines, you've got the catering companies that do it. There's, there's actually, it's not just, there's an industry, but yeah. there's all of these different businesses within that industry. And so it is right to go back, you know, 50 years and say, oh, airlines, yeah, air travel is going to be huge. Mm. But, but what you want is then to sort of go to a second level of thinking and go, right, within with, with delivering that, Who's going to capture the most money there? Yeah. Um, same could be said with the internet. I mean, go back to 1999 and what everyone was saying about the internet then. It's just a lot of companies have lost money, but but the ones that have within the value chain, like the Amazons, AWS, right? Look at that. Google. Mm -hmm. um, Netflix. The, 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 yep. Yeah, Facebook. yep. The, the, there are people within that that have captured mm -hmm. the, the lion's share of the wealth. So when you're, yeah. when you're looking at, I don't know, electric vehicles to... to 
to take an argument. Does that, even if that is true, and let's say for the sake of argument that is true, is it going to be the auto manufacturers that do really well out of that? Is it going to be the people who dig the lithium out of the ground that do that? Or potentially is it going to be some of the ones that are doing more interesting value add things in which they have some kind of competitive advantage and pricing power? that are likely to do really well. I, I've got no doubt that we'll look back at some point in time, we'll say, oh, this was the segment with an EV that you wanted to invest yeah, in. Yeah, that's right. If you I know, didn't realise it was the, 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 the wheel manufacturers or the bootlatch bo- mobs or something that, you know, made a lot of money. Yeah, well, it's actually another, I, now I'm going to forget it, but within auto, auto uh, well, manufacturing cars is also a terrible business as well. Yes, it is. Um, but, but the people who make uh, the, the seat covers and that kind of stuff uh, have actually done really well. So there's, there's there certain go. component, OEM, original equipment manufacturers within that, that have done incredibly well. So that's, that's the question that you, you need to ask. And I think, so I'm going to wrap this up, mate, just to say that what I, what I want our listeners to look out for is where are the services or products commodities or commoditized and yeah. where are their value adds that are unique or different or somehow again another jargon supply constrained right mm. if it turns out lithium is supply constrained lithium might as well make a squillion but like oil yeah. if it's not if it's just a matter of just finding it because it's out there you just got to find it and yes it costs a bit more to get to but machines get bigger and better and faster and more efficient and so the cost of extraction stays low or, or you know even even as it it's harder to get to we find more efficient ways of getting it um maybe there's nothing there we, we will uh, to your yeah. point andrew about you know the 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 airlines what was what was what was the commodity the commodity was the the, the plane and the airline, because the brand on the plane didn't matter. And effectively, right. regulators commoditized the safety components. Even in the old days, Qantas mm. was the place you'd fly because it never had a crash. These days, mm. in the Western world, at least, like, okay, well, there's the same regulations everywhere and there's inspectors everywhere. And so you can assume safety is diamond doesn't. Even that's commoditized. Yeah. You can only land in one airport in Sydney, at least for now. So mm. that's a scarce asset, right? And that's mm. not commoditized. Um, I don't know this catering store. I'm not sure why they made the money, quite frankly, but I'm not sure I would have predicted that either. But, you know, the internet, same thing, right? So the switches and dials and wires and whatever, that they, they were commodity assets. But if you yeah. could capture a community of people on Facebook and keep them there and monetize them, then the internet didn't do much. But the internet mm. did everything for every other business that was attached to it. And so to your point, where the value accretes isn't necessarily the internet. It's who uses the internet well, Arguably in travel, the value accretes to the rest of us. Mm. I mean, the, mm. the value of yeah. travel accretes to the businesses who got free or cheap travel and freight. You know, yeah. the ability to fly anywhere and make your That's sale, true. meet your customer. Yeah. Um, you know, the same with the internet, right? The, the, it's allowed e-commerce in a way that, you know, it's lowered costs for everybody. So we've all won. Some companies have won yeah. a lot more than others and, and some individuals have won more than others. But we're, we're all winners because we've got access to more information, more technology for effectively the cost of... And again, the cost of internet plans keep going down as well. Even Tulsa's not capturing the value there in the way that people might have thought because the competition keeps prices low. And that's, and that's yep. kind of part of the story. I like that. I think a good... Like uh, so just to make it a bit practical before we wrap it up, I think if, if you're an investor out there trying to sort of answer this very hairy, prickly question, and it is, yeah. I don't want to pretend it's, it's easy by any stretch of the imagination. But I think a useful mental exercise for me has always been saying, what if I, as a producer of X, increase mm. my prices by 10%? Yep. So if I'm if I'm digging iron ore yeah, out of right. the ground, now it doesn't work like this way in the industry, but if I said for whatever reason, my iron ore, the exact same purity as your iron ore is 10% more, yep. no one buys it. There is no right. brand. There is no, it is, it is purely a commodity. Um, if Apple says we're increasing our iPhones by 10%, <laughs> well, they're the only ones on the planet that can sell an iPhone. You know, it's like you either, maybe it has an impact on sales, but mm-hmm. but they can do that knowing full well that it's 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 not 
you know that yeah. <laughs> we're the only ones who can do it. So I and there's, there's they're very sort of black and white examples, but it is a useful exercise to try and do. And and that's where things such as intellectual property, uh, brand, um, scale advantages, all of these things that Buffett calls moats. Such a fascinating area of study. And if you're serious about investing, you really want to dig into that as much as you can because mm-hmm. those are the companies and those that can sustain high rates of, of return on capital, they're the ones that you want to want to back. They really are. I think that and that's that's the key, right? You're looking for a business that has the ability to raise prices through some part of its construction, if I put it that way. Something about yeah. it. And it's not as you say, it's not always the same thing, right? It can be that it's just simply too expensive to move away from. So, well, you know, why why would I, um, you know, why would I leave? You know, you call them trapdoor moats, right? The idea of okay, well, I yep. could, I could for my business pull all this software out, put somebody else's software in, but man, yep. that's a painful, long, expensive process, uncertain for the team. Or I could just pay the extra ten percent that Microsoft want to charge me for Outlook because I'll just pay it, right? I don't really care. Um, yeah. And it, so it's those kind of things where it's like the cost of being, brand, as you say, Coke is the same as Pepsi is the same as. RC Cola for, for all intents and purposes mm. we yep. convince ourselves that it tastes better maybe it does we convince ourselves the brand's worth more and that's the thing we convince ourselves that's the point right so you're yep. capturing in that case not only the brand itself but the the, 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 the feeling that brand creates Apple's the same I will yeah. I will be speaking of controversial we haven't, we haven't been controversial for a little while other than at Bitcoin you know is an iPhone that much better than any other phone no and, and no of course not and if no. it was a little bit better is it worth three times the price of a Samsung is it, is it literally no. three times better? We convince ourselves it is. So it is because mm. that's our reality, mm. right? But on any rational basis, there is no difference between those two phones that justifies paying that much more. It's just, it, and again, I'm a, I, I, Apple's fantastic, done a great job. Cars, as yeah. you say, super commoditized, right? You buy a Honda mm. or a Toyota or a, I don't know, a Zuzu or a Subaru. Again, we convince ourselves, oh, I want that car. It's better than the other one because of X. That's all in our heads. That is completely in our heads, yeah. right? And that's why there's not much margin there. Now, you might get a bit more margin from a Mercedes because they've created a brand. You might get a bit more margin from a Tesla because they've created a brand and good on them. Mm. Um, but that, they've got to work really, really hard to maintain that brand benefit, right? Because at some point when that goes away, well, so does, the, so does your profit margin. And that's why cars, that's why airlines are, are just, you know, effectively, you know, Qantas could probably charge 10% more than Virgin, I imagine, because there is mm. some, you know, brand value. I still call Australia home. Some people do value the the... the you know the safety um you know i quite like the Qantas brand i vividly remember getting back on a Qantas plane 12 years ago out of london uh and the australian accent saying you know hello g'day, whatever she said and i just you know i was heading home and it was just mm. that like completely emotional absolutely not rational at all feeling of oh i'm back this 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 is part of australia right and that's worth mm. something but they can't double yeah. their prices they can't put the price up no. another 15 percent, or business walks away so there, there is mm. even if they have some pricing premium there's not that much there. That's that's by the way why Qantas survive while oh, others got broke. It hasn't done fantastically yeah. well. It's just got just enough margin to not go the way of the other guys. But gee, it's a it's a close run thing, isn't it? Oh, it, it really is. It really is. And and here's the other thing that just to to you know end on a bit of a depressing note is that th- these are the <laughs> exceptions. Let you do that. These- I'm going to come back. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they're, they're the exception to the rule. So we sort of talk about this stuff and you take the 2,000 businesses that are on the ASX alone. Yeah. Oh, man. To, to find the, the business of the, of the kind of quality that ideally you would want, yeah. you'd be lucky to get 10 or 20, really. And, and, it, and, it, and here's the other thing. Even the very best businesses always have a few hairs on them. There's no such thing as a perfect business. So it's sort of there's, here's the theory that we're sort of laying down. But, you know, pragmatically, they're rare. 
And even when you do find them, it's not perfect. There are there are certain exceptions to the rule. There are, there are nuances there. There is something oh, I love this part aspect of the business and what they're able to do. But oh, geez, I wish I wish the CEO wasn't doing that or et cetera, et cetera. So it's I I, I do I do. I, I don't want us to sort of say, oh, it's just easy. This is what you look for. It is, yeah. it, it's that whole buffer, you know, investing is simple but not easy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. the big concepts, they are really straightforward. A 12-year-old could grasp them, um, but it's not easy. <laughs> and that's, and therein, therein lies uh, the challenge. But at least having that North Star to focus on and to head yeah, towards yeah. Is, is very valuable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot, mate, just as we finish off. To give our listeners a, a tip or an idea, a company name, if I said to you, which business on the ASX or in the US, if you prefer, has the biggest or best moat? No, so price aside, oh. value aside, we're not saying buy this one stock. Okay, saying if I said that's to a great you, question. Tell, just tell me, tell me the business that, ha- that is, has, is least, or sorry, most impenetrable, or is least penetrable. Um, if, if you had to buy one for 100 years, the price didn't matter, you just, you know, because you had to get your money back in 100 years' time. Yep. Which business do you reckon is the most defensive, defensible on the ASX? Oh, that is such a good question. I I wish you'd given me some heads up because I would have have thought a bit more deep. I thought about that because you mentioned you you brought it up. I'm (laughs) going with you, dude. Well, I'll do do you better. I'll give you a few. Um, I think Woolworths. (laughs) I think Woolworths is going to be around in 30 years. You know, it might be a very different. It might might be much more online centric and the rest of it. Mm -hmm. But I think think our, our... Kids and our grandkids will probably still be shopping at a place that has Woolworths on the on on the yeah, right. on the masthead, uh, yep. you know, if not on the webpage. Um, I think CSL. I think CSL is a business that has just got incredibly strong dominant um, moats as well. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for us with even a trillion dollars to sort of effectively compete with them. It would, it would take some time. Cochlear mm-hmm. is another great example. Cochlear are the only ones in the world that make cochlear implants, and they're the best. Um, now, that, that technology disruption is a, is a real risk, but they also mm-hmm. spend, like a lot of these companies, huge amounts on R&D, so they're usually sort of ahead of the curve. So I think, I think yep. that's another uh, classic example. Just to, just to talk about the really, the really big ones. Um, uh, I think zero. To be, to be this quality, they have to be that big because they have to have proven themselves to be you know, worth something. They've got big because they are somehow yeah. different or unique or better. Oh, totally. I totally. Zeros another great example um, oh, of that kind of business. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I mean, having said all of that, I own none of the companies I've just mentioned, um, and that's the whole difference. Yeah, exactly. Well, because it is because as much as I, I like those companies, I think that value is is recognised to a de- yeah. to a large degree. So it doesn't. Yep. It's not like they're they're great value. So I do I don't want to put that caveat out there. But and if I thought for another 15, 20 minutes, I'm sure I could find some others. By the way, from a practical standpoint, what do you do in that situation? These businesses mm-hmm. that you love and would like to own but don't. Um, well, what I do is I I I work out independently a price or a range that I think is reasonable. And then I just set an alert. <laughs> no, wait. Yeah. <laughs> and I might update that every six or 12 months when new information comes to light or whatever. But you'll get the chance. If your patience is mm-hmm. such a huge asset to have mm-hmm. and, and, and you will find up. Op- and I've owned all of those companies at, at a point mm-hmm. in the past because mm-hmm. they just got to a point where it was like, oh, I'll take it. And, and the market will be, be in a, some kind of funk or something stupid because, you know, uh, Coles had slightly better same store sales over the last quarter, or some, you know, mm, something yeah. stupid like that, which is just a rounding error in the great arc of history. And and um, yeah, set a price you think is reasonable, and and wait, and you you will get an opportunity. Nice. I'm going to throw some at you, mate. I was going to cochlear as well in Australia. Uh, if you're putting something in your head. 
brand matters, right? And, and, if you, and then, by the way, they also have the customers oh, for that, life because the sound the sound processes are external, and you replace the sound processor for the implant. Um, so that, yeah. that's a, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good. Oh wait, I, I can time. save ten percent on another uh, implant right, inside right, my brain. Exactly. Yeah, cut me open, put it in, doc. You know, <laughs> exactly. no way. Oh, I want, yeah, no exactly, way. exactly. And if you've got if you. Well, I was just going to say, if you've, if you've got a child who, who's, who's a candidate for this kind of thing, you're going to say, well, listen, honey, we could, there's, one, there's one manufactured in, uh, in China here that's uh, 30% cheaper. Let's, <laughs> let's put that in our child's head. You know, exactly. that, that, that is a huge moat they have. Exactly. And I'm going to go back to Coca-Cola. It's no longer on the Australian market. It's gone anywhere. But the, the, the real brand bower is in Coca-Cola US. And I, I'm going to say, you know what, no matter what technology changes, what has changed over the last century and a half, we still drink Coca-Cola in, in large quantities. It's not going to grow, to your point. Like, this is not, a, mm. this is not an investment recommendation. I'm not saying buy this and you'll make a fortune. Um, mm. I'm just saying that, you know, we will, we will use different technologies and holograms and all sorts of fun stuff. Our taste buds and our emotional centers are probably the least changeable parts of our lives. And so if you think about the stuff that, that, you know, turns us on, literally from a food and drink perspective, from an emotional appeal perspective, unless Coke really, really, really screws it up, I have a very high confidence they're going to be the number one soft drink brand in the world in 40, 50 years. And so that's one of those yep. ones where, you know, could you, could you, Buffett, uh, Munger even used this example. You know, I, I, was it Munger, I think, gave the speech? He said, you gave him a billion dollars, he still couldn't take Coke's leadership away. And it was that, yeah. that combination of, of wonderful traits the business has got just is, how, how do you beat Coke? Uh, you can you can get better investment returns than buying Coke shares. I'm not saying that, but mm. if I'd have one product and you said you can, you can sell one product for the rest of your life, what do you want it to be? It's Coke every day of the week because it's just... This thing is just, it, it, it's myth and it's legend and it's taste and it's marketing and it's emotion and it's all that stuff that is just, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal, it's really should be, it should be, every business student should study Coke, quite honestly, for, mm. for everything that mm. tells you about the way customers react, suppliers react, built, markets are built. Uh, it is just a remarkable, remarkable story. Well, actually talking about supply chains before and value chains, um, what Coke US has done is that they mm. have farmed out all of the production to, yeah, to, to the Coca-Cola <laughs> All stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they basically looked at our business. Yeah. Now we we take sugar, <laughs> we take water, and we turn that into fizzy drink, right? Yeah. And yeah. and they basically said, actually, there's all this capital intense areas of our business which is really low margin. Let's just let's just retail, let's just sell the syrup, right? And yeah, let's let yeah, others yeah. take on all of that. They are that is that is for me is the real genius of, of what Coke has done. I do, yeah. as a bit of an aside, I do I do wonder if there is a somewhat of a structural shift in terms of perceptions, awareness uh, around sugar. Um, mm. At the same time, I do think that they will probably adapt, <laughs> um, and they've got the capacity and, and, and that that to do it. But yeah, Coke, Coke's a, Coke's a wonderful case study. I probably I probably also Coke brand rather than the red Coke. Maybe Coke no sugar or Diet Coke or something else. I take I take your sure. point, but I think yeah. that whole the whole idea of the you know the Coke is it kind of concept is just so ingrained. Anyway, we'll see how we Definitely. go. Definitely, we've talked for Definitely. way too long. Will you come back on Sunday and do a mailbag with me? I'm happy to. I love it. Always enjoy it. All right, we will also do that. If it was in the meantime, if you want to question answered, I've said it already before. Uh, I'm going to take a few weeks off. We're going to pre-record some episodes, so now is your chance. Jump in, jump onto the socials. You can get me and the Motley Fool on Twitter and Instagram at TMF Scott P and at the Motley Fool AU. You can get Andrew and Strawman on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon and at Strawman Invest. If you're on Facebook, jump onto The Motley Fool Australia or Scott Phillips Money. And if you want to email us, you can do that, info at fool.com.au. I also hope you're enjoying our weekly uh, Stock of the Week podcast. And if you are, you can jump on our YouTube channel where you get to see, well, 
like not exactly a selling point as we say get see me actually talking about it rather than listening to me i'm not sure what's better or worse but if you do if you do want something to look at while you hear me talk uh god help you but you can do that jump on the motley for australia's youtube channel as well all right that's it for this week's motley for money andrew we'll be back on sunday with another dose of foolish insight in the meantime full on talk to you then The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.